Welcome to the Manufacturing Employer Podcast, where we talk workplace culture and all things related to the strategies that drive exceptional environments for employees. You'll hear conversations with those in the manufacturing space tasked with making their workplace better. Employee engagement, benefits, onboarding, hiring, we'll be discussing the working experience from top to bottom. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Manufacturing Employer. I'm your host, John Franco, co-founder of Gorilla76. We are the industrial marketing agency. We help manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. On today's show, we have Vince Matani joining us. Vince is a mental performance coach, organizational development advisor, and speaker. He helps organizations around the globe transform and develop their employees. Through a visionary philosophy that identifies every individual as a leader, Vince's mission is to cultivate people-first leadership, elevate organizational culture, boost employee engagement, retain premier talent, and achieve optimal business outcomes. And he's here on the show today. Vince, welcome. Ready to get into it? Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Uh, So thank you very much. You're in sunny Florida, right? Yeah, as we speak, I'm looking out my window. It's about 72 degrees, little muggy, beautiful sun, tea time later today. Uh, It's pretty awesome. And you can buy milk and eggs at your grocery store right now, unlike in St. Louis. (laughs) And I can buy milk, eggs, and bread if I needed to. Yeah. And bread. Yes. French toast. Big French toast time of year here in uh, (laughs) St. Louis, apparently. Anyone who's not from, and I'm sure it's like this in every city. I, I just know that we freak out the minute we get a half inch of snow in the forecast. But for anyone that's not from the Midwest, we love to do this thing that um, whenever there's like any snow flurry on the little weather graphic, you cannot find milk, egg, bread. Like those three things specifically, right, Vince? Yeah, when I lived there. Basically French toast. Yeah, it's essentially French toast. Like I guess the whole, we, we decide we want to eat French toast when we're snowed in. And then what typically happens though, is you know, we don't get the snow that they call for. And then, so now everything's out of stock for no reason, and everybody's back at school and work. It's so silly, but yeah. (laughs) It's fun. All right. Well, you're on today. We're going to talk a little bit about leadership. As someone who has, I think this topic's fascinating and super important, and as someone who's trying to like grow as a leader myself, as well as help others kind of find that path within my organization, when you're doing an evaluation, what are the biggest gaps, skill gaps that you're seeing in the people that are newer to the workforce, we'll say, like maybe those college grads, those trade school grads, those those people who are just entering the workforce for the first time, what gaps are you seeing? I think there's some large opportunities that immediately come to mind. And I would say one is communication. Like if we as a people group, just as humans, could figure out how to communicate well to each other. I think our entire world would be a better place. But if we just microcosm this into our organizations, communication is, I would say, the foundation to everything else that we want to do. And it's not necessarily, how do I speak? I would say the first part of communication is, how do I listen? Because there's seven layers of listening. And if I'm just, well, I'm not listening. That's a problem. If I'm listening only to rebuttal with you or only just to let you say what you need to say, but then I just go off on my own tangent, then, well, that's not really listening. That's, it's selfish. Listening, really, we want to get to like a level three listening, which is where I understand what you're saying. 
And then I can at least tweak my message or respond back based on what you are saying. But if I'm not actually truly listening, especially in conflict, well, then we're missing, like communication doesn't matter then because we're not listening. So I think the first part of everything, and and if we talk about the younger workforce, it's they don't know how to listen. They don't know how to take feedback. They don't know how to respond. And and I, I think we've done this to ourselves because we're all behind a device and now with remote work depending on where you're at, like it's so much easier to jump on Slack or in an email and shoot off something. We've been seeing this for years in, in the comments. People love to just say whatever they want to say because they can hide behind the screen. And then when we get in person, we don't know how to actually have a true, honest conversation. And it starts with listening. Then I would say the second piece, again, if we now just look into the scope of work and leadership, I have to know how to communicate and how I communicate. My style is different from your style, right, John? So if I'm how I come across, and I'm unsure of my cadence or maybe my tone or my body language, it can rub somebody the wrong way instantly. And then we lose trust and we don't have a cohesive team. Then the third thing is I got to understand how you communicate. And I have to understand how you think through and your grid and allow you to have that space to communicate for you. And if I don't, well, then it's just all about me again. And leadership's not about us, it's about other people. So I think it really comes down to we have to learn how to communicate. And I can explain if you want. That was just a very high level. No, I well, I mean, I think you basically just named it's funny because whenever I am wrapping these podcasts up and the edits are done, I have one of the hardest parts is like coming up with just the name for the podcast. But I mean, I think I love this theme of the culture of communication basically starts with listening. And because I agree, I mean, communication is everything. We have learned we're remote. We have to double down on communication. I mean, it's like we cannot communicate enough. But I think sometimes when people are a mistake, I think I often fell into whenever we were running an in-person company was I just assumed that everyone kind of knew what was going on because we were all in the same place. But I think you have to be so intentional with making sure that everyone is truly up to speed. You can't just hang out something in the break room and expect everyone's going to see it. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) Right. You have to have the conversation. And to your point, if they're already in a place where they're thinking about what they're going to say next or why they don't like it or whatever, and they're the minute you start doing that, you turn off and you start thinking about where your rebuttal is going to be and you're not listening. I think it's imperative as a leader. If you can, if the only work you did was just to figure out how do I listen better? How do I say what I need to say? Other people stand and can respond to, you're going to be in the upper 2% immediately. And I'm putting you on the spot a little here. I love it. Let's go. This was not in our pre, pre-planning pre call, but like, I'm going to ask you about just like some tips and tricks, I guess, that like when you find yourself in situations like this where you want to rebuttal or you want to say, yeah, yeah, but, and you find yourself not listening, how do you course correct or what tricks have you learned or what do you teach people to kind of work on this? I love this question. So buckle up. Here we go. I got into this business because I was at I was here. See, I'm not listening. I was I was rebuttaling. I was doing what I'm talking about, but I was I am buckled up. I got into this industry because I was one. I love people, but I felt like I was missing the mark as a leader so many times, and I was missing the mark as a communicator so many times. And then, if we really look at it, like as a human, as a man, I was you know I'm married, a father. I just felt like I kept missing the mark in terms of what I could be doing just in my life, and it came down to again, listening, communicating. What I look through is a grid. And I think, again, as leaders, we have to understand who our people are and we have to understand how they receive information and give information. 
So you look at, there's a hundred different assessments out there to understand your team. I try to use the simplest ones where, again, it doesn't put somebody in a box, but it just gives me a quick framework and a reference point of how to communicate to them in their language. The golden rule, Franco, is treat others as you want to be treated. But I think there's a platinum rule, which is actually treat others as they want to be treated. Because I want to be treated differently than you do. Or I'll take my spouse wants to be treated a little bit differently than what I want. And so as a leader, we well, have that's to- empathy. That's empathy. Like, that's true. That's empathy. exactly right. That is exactly right. So if we lead with empathy, then I say, okay, let's take this silly analogy. We're in St. Louis and we're going to go to Wrigley Field and watch a Cardinals-Cubs game. But we're driving different cars and we have different people in our car. And, and I say, John, I'll see you at Wrigley Field Saturday at noon. Well, how are we going to get there? There's 18 different ways we could fly, we could drive, we could take the train. There's different routes. And me is my communication style is I'm an entrepreneur, right? Let's just go figure it out. And we're going to go fast and we're going to make decisions on the fly and it's going to be okay. But I will tell you that there's going to be people in the car. They're going to go, wait, where are we stopping for lunch? Where are we going to go? What road? Are we going to go 55 North? What if we go this way? What about traffic? Did you think about the storm coming, right? They're going to want to know all the nitty gritty details. Those people to me inherently are really exhausting and drive me nuts. However, I've had to learn that if I want to be the best leader and I want others to succeed, I have to think through their lens. I have to communicate in what they are thinking and how they learn so that we can have better clarity and alignment on where we're headed. And so for me, when I want to double down, if I usually think, oh, I'm right, this person's wrong, let me dig in my heels, I have to be intentional when I'm having a conversation to say, I might be right, but guess what? I might equally be as wrong. And if I can come to the conversation with curiosity, to say, let me understand where you're coming from before I start putting on my boxing gloves and just start swinging, that will help. That usually puts out the fire. If we can get to common ground with people, especially in conflict, that's 90% of the battle. It's just trying to come up with that understanding of where are you coming from? And so I just try to remember that. And I try to remember too, this is going to sound cliche, but like I think the pandemic probably highlighted this, is that we're all going through some crap and we're trying our best. And we're all trying our best. I mean, maybe we're not all I do think that we are trying our best, maybe not in the literal sense, like, or maybe in the literal sense, but maybe there are times where we could push ourselves a little harder or whatever. But I think it, I think what I meant more was like, rarely are we trying to be malicious or like bad, bad actors or those things. Like some days we're, we're just not, progress. I don't know. Our, our paths are like, we're, our paths are different, right? Like, like that makes sense. We're all works in progress. And if I can just go under the assumption that you mean well, you're not being malicious, you're not being a jerk to be a jerk, but if you truly mean well, well, then it kind of disarms me and the whole situation. And then to say like, hey, his 100% might not be my 100%. And in stoicism philosophy, which I've gotten really into, but they'll talk about like, I can have high standards for myself, but I can't expect those high standards on you. And so I have to allow you your own space and with your growth and your journey because I can't put my high standards that I have on myself on you. That's just not fair. And so just keeping that in the forefront of our minds, I believe, I think you said this in the bio, but I believe everybody's a leader. And leadership is when you can take the people on your right and your left and influence them and support them to move forward in their life and career. And you lead them forward. It's not a title. It's not about how many people work under you. That's management. We all know these things. But if I can really say, hey, like if you're next to me, he's doing the best he can with what he has. How can I come and support that? It immediately, again, that, then it goes to listening. And then it goes to how is this person wired? How am I wired? How do I flex to them so that my communication style resonates with you versus it's just all about me? And that's that mindset shift that we have to come to 
terms with as leaders. Kind of related, kind of not, because I think leadership and ownership often kind of tie together. But something that gets me really excited at work is when I see somebody, what we call as think like an owner. And that's one of those things like, there's probably a million ways you could describe what thinking like a, an owner is. It's someone unpromptly sending an email out to remind the company that's not an owner about something like, hey, make sure your time is entered for any billable projects or like those things where you're like, yes, thank you. Thank, thanks for doing this. Thanks for thinking this way. You position it as think like an executive. I, I think we're very much talking about the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. What does it look like when you see somebody thinking like an owner and why is that important? How do you get people excited to do that? I think ownership gives us that responsibility that everybody longs for. It's the feeling of importance and that's not the right way to go about it, but it may allow people to have ownership and freedom, give them some autonomy to say, hey, I want you to think through this at a larger scale, zoom out, two clicks. Most people are so focused on what's in front of them, and especially in organizations. If we take, you know, manufacturing, the, the people who maybe are making the nuts and bolts do not realize the global or the giant impact that they are making. They're just so focused on what's in front of them. So if we can take people and just go, hey, let's zoom out two clicks. And now you're seeing a wider picture. Well, now you understand if I'm entering in my time, there are there are effects, there are causes and effects that actually happen that impact everybody else. And so it's just helping people realize that everything they do matters, both good and bad. And if we think like an owner, then we have to think zoomed out a little bit more than what we're used to. And as, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, we're always flying at 30,000 feet above the air. And we see this whole view. And we can't expect our team when they're on the ground floor to see what we're seeing because they just see what's in front of them. So you got to help them zoom out a little bit more to get the full picture. And that's where we create clarity and alignment and we give them purpose say, hey, this is why your role matters. And that's from everybody, from whoever cleans the toilets at a company to the CEO. It all matters. It's all part of the brand. It's all part of the experience. And oftentimes, people just need to understand that their little role, it matters so much to the overall health and impact of an organization. I think that's so cool. And I had a pre-production call yesterday, the gentleman that's coming on, Fred Reggie, and he talks a lot about service culture not customer service, but service culture. And that exact idea of like that DNA being through every level of the company of what our culture is and how we can use what we're doing every day to kind of bring that to life. So I, and the bathroom analogy is something that has come up before on this podcast, which is, I which I think is really interesting. I, I interviewed Rob Tracy brilliant manufacturing mind. And he's an advisor to Gorilla and just awesome guy. But he talks a lot about when he would go in to do a consulting project at a manufacturing facility, one of the first things he would do is go look at the bathroom. Because if you walk in the bathroom and it's a mess, you can't then tell me that you care about your people. And like this culture is so good. You can't even take care of the bathroom. You can't even give them a good place to go wash their hands or you know use the restroom. So I, I, I that I love that. I think that's such a powerful kind of mindset, I guess. Yeah, it's a switch, though, I think. And I don't know, maybe it's a generational switch. Maybe it's just the switch of getting out of our own heads and realizing that other people exist. But it's everybody. One of the things I, I feel like I'm inherently gifted with is helping people understand the value they bring, not just to their job, but to life. That every person matters, every role matters. And something that I intentionally do, like when we go out, 
from the hostess, like let's say we're going out to eat from the hostess to the buffboy to the waiter to the server to the whoever, whoever I come in contact with, I always go, hey, just want you to know I appreciate you helping us. Oh, nobody gets that anymore. And so just allowing space intentionally to say, I'm going to make sure that the person I see today knows that they are making a difference. That might be the first time they've ever heard that in their entire career. And, and I think as leaders, if we can just double down to say, hey, I see you, I recognize you, you're putting in the work, thank you. I think that goes so far because we have not ever had that type of large overscoping culture in America. It's more, it was always work, 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 your number, your cog. And if you don't do the job, we can replace you. Instead of, hey, you matter, let me help you and continue to grow so that you can continue to make an impact. That shift, that subtle shift in a leader's brain, I think will do wonders in her organization. I am like the, I, I don't know the karate belt order, but I am not a black belt in that. Let's put it that way. I'm thinking about the conversation we had before you came on. I had an issue with our bank and I just got frustrated. And I'm like, no, I'm like, gosh, I should call these poor people back because I'm always super nice. But I'm also like, being a business owner at times, it can get really frustrating whenever like you get the thing where everybody's just pointing fingers at each other, right? Like, oh, well, now you need to call this phone number. Now you need, I'm like, no, I just need my credit card to work. I don't know what to tell you guys. I And, and maybe they're not meeting me with empathy. Maybe they're not understanding my journey I'm on where I'm like, look, I don't have time to call 25 different phone numbers a day. I just need my credit card to work. I don't know how... So I don't know, Vince, you've, been, you've inspired me to like think through that more now. Be a better human, I guess. Be a better human. But I think this goes to, and I love that point, and I don't want to gloss over that, but I want to mention something. It's the training on the back end. So let's use this example. The customer service reps were not given the proper training to have ownership and to think outside of their box. So they've been told, if something doesn't work, call this other number. Pass. It's essentially, we're going to pass responsibility on, that's not my department, that's not my area of expertise, whatever. Versus, hey, let's be solutions-oriented and that maybe 80% of our canned responses work, but there's going to be 20% where it doesn't. And what do we do in that 20%? How do we live in that like weird gray area? But we have to think outside the box. We have to think, again, like an owner or an executive of how does this actually help the customer? How do I think outside the box? How do I take ownership and go, okay, that number's not working. Let's see what else we can do because there's always a way. We have to be able to want to find the solution to the way versus, well, call this other number, pass the buck. Uh, so it goes both ways. Training probably wasn't good. And then for you to show up to say, okay, this person probably is just doing their job to the best that they can. And who knows, they had a flat tire coming into work today and they were arguing yeah, with their yeah, spouse. You're right, you're right. So now they're they're pissed coming into work and now they got to deal with a pissed off customer who just wants to get his credit card activated. And you can see where the bomb starts going off. But if we both approach the situation a little bit differently, it could be a whole different result. I'm calling them back when I get off this recording. You've talked me into it. They <laughs> They were trying their best. Uh, we're not recording the video, but I am smiling. I promise I wasn't that tough, but I was like, come on. Like, Well, it's frustrating. Yeah, it is. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when you're at a store, let's say the grocery store, and you're like, hey, do you have sugar-free creamer? The answer, we have it. It will be over there. We've lost the old school mentality of, I don't know, but let's go find out. And I'll, I'll walk, walk with you. With you. I will pay way more for that experience than a rag on the 20 something. So, you know, bear with me. I'm really sorry, but it's the, I don't know, but if we have it, it'll be over there. Like that does nothing for the customer experience. And again, this is where we think like an owner zoom out. What does that say about the brand? What does that say about you? So the training think better about people 
and go do the thing that nobody else is doing. That's what will make you stand out as an employee. That will make our company stand out is if we treat people with just a little bit more respect. Nordstrom is great at this because they still will walk across the counter, hand you the bag and shake your hand as you leave. I will I will stop at Nordstrom versus someone else going, here you go. And they don't care about my transaction. There's just a subtle difference. I mean, you buy a pair of shoes at Johnson & Murphy, you're going to get a handwritten note when you get Absolutely. home. Absolutely. Um, yes. Those things go a long way. Shifting to topic of burnout, I think that's something that can easily affect those. Like when we think of factory work, when we think of manufacturing, I think anything where it's a lot of the same thing over and over. I mean, my day is a lot of the same thing over and over. And there are times like Fridays, at 10.30 a.m., which is when we're recording this, where I'm like, I'm ready for the weekend. I'm not burnt out, but I'm also like, you're ready. How do you address burnout in the workplace? What's your approach? What do you coach people on? What, what, just, I don't know. Talk a little bit about burnout, I guess. What's interesting is everything that we've talked about leading up to this question helps fight burnout. And so when our employees are feeling heard and understood, they are understanding the value they bring. They understand the purpose of their job and the importance of it. They're being communicated to well. It's a lot easier to be off for two days and not have the anxiety and the headache and the stomach aches on Sunday night before you go back into work because you're actually excited to go there. Now, I'm not saying we need to create a family or it's not Disneyland where it's all rainbows and butterflies and Mickey Mouse on a parade. That's not necessarily realistic because even Disney will tell you like that's not our real life. But I think when we take a step back and we intentionally address culture issues. We intentionally address sometimes when people are on the bus, but they're not on the right seat in the bus. Maybe we have to move some things around in the organization because someone's not being fulfilled in their role. But we do these subtle things throughout maybe the course of a month, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year. We begin to slowly see companies shift their culture and, and fight burnout by just, again, this goes back to just being a good human. I have found in an executive role, burnout for me comes when I don't have healthy boundaries around my work or myself. So if we look at it from a top level view, I had to do the inner work of being a better person in order to be a better executive. I found that I always said yes, because I didn't want to disappoint people. And that came from my family of origin and how I was raised by my dad, where you said yes, because you don't want to disappoint your father. Or you say yes, because your mom might be needing you more than what she should as a mother, whatever it can be. But I've worked with so many entrepreneurs, so many executives, so many athletes that have come from really, we'll say, muddy backgrounds. And where now performance anxiety, whether it's being an entrepreneur and you're, you're reporting to a board and you have investments or you're an athlete or whatever it is, high sense of responsibility and it's high performance and it's high pressure. And if you don't have your internal world figured out, your exterior is going to blow up and that's where burnout happens. And it's because we're stretching ourselves and doing things we shouldn't be doing. And so I had to learn the hard way of being burned out and being extremely overweight and being extremely unhappy and not sleeping well and having really messed up relationships because I, that was my burnout because I didn't handle my internal world well. And so John, you and I have talked about this for what a decade now of like, how do we optimize our strategy and our performance and our scheduling even to be better so we're not burned out. I'm just thinking aloud here. I wonder if they're teaching that in schools these days. And I say that jokingly and serious, but Sunday nights. You know, yeah. you kind of alluded to the Sunday scaries. And to this day, when I hear the Simpsons music, I get like tick, triggered tick, tick, tick. because when I was a kid, that came on on Sunday nights, right? And like that was like 
the weekend's over and I have to go back to school. And it's just funny. Or like the 60 minutes, like that ticking sound. If I hear that to this day, I'm like, oh God, like, I think they're like wheel of fortune music. There's a few of them that were like, okay, it's time to do your homework. It's time to like, and I guess I haven't had that feeling in a while, which I understand is a privilege and something I'm very grateful for. I, the owner of a business, but I think for the most part, we have worked. I'm sure there are some people that get the Sunday scaries and hopefully we can make that as few as possible. And and sometimes things are just busy at work. Sometimes it's just not, everything's not perfect, but it doesn't. I guess anyone listening, if you're feeling that those Sunday scaries, I don't know that it has to be that way. Maybe for like the chapter you're in or just people have different financial situations, whatever, but in the long run, it doesn't have to always be like that for sure. A thousand percent. So to your point, there's a stuck factor in everything we do. Let's just say that you can go create the job of your dreams. There's going to be a stuck factor. So get used to that. Number two, it, this goes to what I love talking about mindset and approach, but let's just start here. Let's start baseline. You got to believe in yourself. And this might be an unpopular opinion to all of the HR people listening, but I'm going to say it again. You might have people on your team or on the bus that are in the wrong seat and you just need to move people around. But then there's going to be people that are on the bus that shouldn't be on the bus. And maybe you're on the bus and you're listening to this and you're saying, I'm in a role right now that I don't belong in, but I've been here. And that's why I have the Sunday scaries. Well, you have the opportunity and the power to go change that. We just, sometimes people need permission. Sometimes people need the kick in the butt to do it. But I was talking to a guy who just retired. So he's like 67 and he was in a role for 38 years that he hated every day. Oh, oh. I don't, I don't understand or comprehend that because for that amount of time, that's tough. Oh my gosh. Why? Why would you do that? That's a prison sentence. It is. That's brutal. So go, I would say if you, if you're listening and you're going, man, every time I hear the 60 minutes, tick, 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 or Sunday evening after the football game, I get a massive headache and I I get anxiety because I don't want to go to work on Monday. I would say you need to really take a step back and evaluate your life and say, is this really what I want to be doing for the next 20 years? And if the answer is no, then let's figure out what it is. But if you're an executive or an HR rep and you're going, I think I have people on my team that are experiencing this. I think it's your responsibility first and foremost to be for your people and to sit them down and say, what can we do to where when, when you wake up on Mondays, you're excited to come here or you're excited to log in? What does that look like? Or how can we help you transition to a place to where somewhere. you do? Like it, they don't have to stay. I think that's something that, and I, it's the last day of an employee. It's an employee's last day today at Gorilla. Obviously, this is coming out after, but it's not a secret. He got a really great job. He's, it's a growth opportunity for him. I hate that he's leaving, but man, I look at it as a feather in our cap that somebody's going somewhere. And and this wasn't a situation where he came and said, look, I'm really unhappy. I got to, we've had that before though. And we've tried our best to help that person find something. And we had that a while back and what that one of those employees came back and now works for us and is in a much better place, I think. So like, I don't know. I, I totally agree. Like as the HR people out there, A, we need to be paying attention to this and understanding it's a reality. And to the business owners, like, A, let's learn from it and make our workplaces not suck, but also like accept that it may not be for everyone and that's okay. And um, let's just try to help people out, I guess. You guys set the bar so high for how you treat your people. And I remember, I feel like maybe it was a year and a half ago or two years, but you had an employee that you guys created a real like a video, an actually 
real and you spread it out through LinkedIn saying this person needs. That was our buddy, Alice Lee. We were, she was a designer and we had to essentially kind of change some roles up and she was going to, we needed to help her find something that was much more suited for what she was doing. And it was a collective effort trying to find an employee, a different role at a different company. But you guys were like, no, this is the right thing for that person. And again, let's go back to just being a good human. And Zig Ziglar, who is one of my heroes, but he says, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll eventually get what you want. Not in a manipulative state, but just literally, how can I be for other people so that they can get what they want? And if I can help enough people reach their destinations or help them on their journey, I'll be okay. But it's thinking about other people first. And that's like a core tenet of, I think, a lot of spirituality, a lot of religions. Hell, I've talked to my therapist about this. It's hard to focus on your own anxieties and concerns and whatever when you truly are concerned about other people. I I think that's why a lot of times we'll see, I get frustrated with my parents sometimes because maybe they don't live the health, as healthy of life as I, I think they should. But I think their point often is like, our concern isn't with us anymore. It, it's with you. And kind of that idea of like putting your concerns into other people, I think can actually be a beautiful thing in a lot of ways and and can help us as individuals in a lot of ways. And what does that come then to? It comes to being real with people, providing space for them and listening and listening to understand. So this goes back to the core thing we talked about at the very beginning. How do I listen well to my employees so that I know that they're reaching their full potential and helping them get there? And taking some of really caring about them will then internally help me. And I think any HR rep, any executive, if you go into work with that mindset, your culture will dramatically change very quickly. One thing I what kind of last thing I want to have you try to define for me or think about, because I talk about it all the time. Like there's sometimes you'll interview people and you're like, they just get it. They have the it factor. It's it's that those two little letters, it. That comes up a lot, but like it's one of those things when people ask you, well, wh- what is the effect? I was like, well, I don't know. Like, it's just like, how, how do you define it? Because there is something to that. And it does seem like there are some people that just get it. I guess, how do you, how do you describe that? You and I are big sports people. So I'm going to throw out some sports analogies. How's I love that? a sports analogy. Uh, that's the way, that's the way my brain works. Let's take the Bulls in their prime. Obviously, you have Jordan. It factor. What a run. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. What a run. But, the supporting cast you had, like I'm thinking immediately you have Dennis Rodman. He was that Ron Harper. It's the person that when they, Ron Harper. Johnny yeah, Paxson. Tony Kukoc. Like, yeah, it's the people that they might even, they might only play 10 minutes of the game, but they are super impactful the minute they step on the court and they make a difference. That's one it factor. It's that wild card It was card David Eckstein for the Cardinals, all- right? Like, he was just a guy that got it done. Yeah. And it's so it's those people that it's almost unsuspecting and they're like, they're not the star, but they're going to step in and make a difference immediately. So that's one it factor. And they're very specialized. Dennis Rodman was a great rebounder and defenseman, not the best shooter, but they knew in a pinch if they needed him in for five minutes, he was going to shut it down. Well, and he didn't have to shoot well because you've got Scotty Pippen, you got got Michael, you got everybody else. So he knew his role. And that was a determining factor. So I would say there, it's the person who makes a difference immediately, immediate difference maker in an organization. That's like maybe a supporting role. The it factor, then there's also the Jordan, the Tiger Woods, the Albert Pujols, we name it, right? I'm obviously kind of dating my age with who I'm naming. Well, but we all know that our athlete here are the greatest ever, right? So end of discussion. Exactly. 
They have that. I think the it factor is the mentality of I'm not going to be stopped. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to go the extra mile. It's very lonely at that extra mile. And then it's all yours once you're there. So I'm going to do the hard work to go the extra mile. Nothing's going to stop me. And it's a mindset. That it factor, I think, is a total mindset approach to anything else besides getting first or winning is a loss. There's no second place. There's no participation trophy. I know that might offend some people. I grew up in the age of like, you win the trophy or you don't. Yeah, or you go home crying. <laughs> or you, you go home crying. But you know what? That made me have resiliency to go, I want that damn trophy. So I'm I'm, I, I am I with you. Do. I agree. I mean, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. So I think that other it factor of an employee. So now let's make this into a work scenario. It's the one that's going to show up. If, if they have to clock in at eight, they're there at 745 preparing and being ready. The job may start at eight, but really they know the job starts the minute they get out of bed with their routine to get there on time to be ready. They're doing the extra work, not because they're wanting the gold star, but because they know this is going to help other people. And then they don't mind picking up the slack. They're not the ones going, oh, that's not my department. That's not my job. Go call this number. They're going, you know what? I don't know, but let's if go we have it, out. you can find we, it. Yeah. No, they already know if they have it or not. That's the it factor. They've looked through inventory to say, I know we don't have this, but let's call the other store and maybe we can get it for you. So they're just thinking outside the box inherently. And, and I feel like the, the organizations I'm in on a day-to-day basis, that, that it factor is becoming more and more few and far between. However, you can train that. You can teach that. It's just going to, you have to invest in those people. That's where I come in. Let me invest in your people for you. It's not your job because you're running a company. You're running a whole HR department. You're running culture. But if you have those four or five people that are going, I think they have it. I think if we invest in them, they can make our organization so much better in 12 months. It's well worth that. Even if you get a 30% return, it's well worth the investment up front to get these people into that mindset. You were alluding to what you do, which I think is a great segue as we start to wrap up. Tell us about what you're doing and how can our listeners get in touch with you if they have questions, want to reach out, want to do some leadership development. Tell us more about what you're doing at Atlas. The large company name is Atlas Coaching Group. And I would say it comes down to this. We help people believe in themselves. And you're, what does that mean? Well, again, if you just think about your own life and you think, man, the times where I really felt empowered and that somebody invested even some thoughts or some nice words into me, what that did for me. Now imagine that at an organization of 100 or 1,500 or 10,000, doesn't matter. If you begin to have every person believing in what they do and believing in themselves that they can achieve more, you're going to have one of the greatest organizations out there. So what we do is we come in with that approach. of We can go with maybe the executive team just needs to create some clarity around where are we headed. And we need to learn how to work together well because the CFO is very analytical. The CEO is very driven, uh, living in 30,000 foot view. And there's a disconnect. So how do we help create that connection? And then how do we spread that message down to each team member where everybody gets it? They're all aligned and we're all headed in the right direction. That can be done through one-on-one coaching, group coaching. I love doing workshops because we can get everybody in there. I've studied how adults learn. We have fun. And people walk away going, that was the best six hours that I've spent in a very long time. And I love that feedback because, again, we're just helping people believe in themselves. I should talk to you about marketing. I'm not the best. You can find me atlascg.co, C-O, so A-T-L-A-S-C-G.co is our website. You can also, I'm on Instagram, but it, I don't know what I'm doing because I'm 38 and I just missed the curve of social media. I don't get it. But 
my first and last name, Vince Matani. I'm on there. Dude, you can text me. I'll leave. I'll, you can put my info in the show notes too, man. I'm pretty available. And I always say like this. Spell, Mat- spell Matani for us. I mean, it's going to be in the title, but just so everyone has it. H-T-A-N-I. My dad's from India. Uh, first generation India. He was an immigrant here. And so Matani's Indian. Everybody thinks it's Italian. But that Indian culture that we have, like it's hard work, it's about community. And I realized like, oh, that's part of my DNA. And yeah, yeah I, it's really cool. But I, I feel like when, when we help people, it doesn't matter the organization, but we help people understand who they are, how they communicate, what drives them, how to have that mentality. That's what I'm here on this earth to do. And this phone that I'm looking at, like it's available. I have it as a tool so that people can call or text. I was on a text chain today with, with a guy that's not even a client, but he's just going, I'm struggling. And I just need a safe person to talk to. And I think of the value of just providing a safe space for people, just the process is huge. And that outside of counseling, I'm a huge counseling proponent. But when it comes to performance and work, entrepreneurship, executive, uh, that's a whole different world. And it's stressful. Let's just be honest with that for a minute, can we? Like, it's really freaking stressful being an executive or being in a high performance role. And there's ways we can help that and make it a little bit easier. Nothing's easy, but make it easier. I think the people who are seeking out podcasts related to HR are probably the ones who are not phoning it in. But I think what I've learned with exposure into a lot of HR is I think like any role, they're the ones who want to be high performance and really want to like leave their imprint on a company. And then there are a lot that just phone it in. So I think the ones, hopefully I I would assume the ones who are going to spend 30 to 40 minutes talking about HR are the ones with the it factor uh, that we've talked about. I agree. I think, and we are seeing, and I think, again, maybe the pandemic did this. Mental health is becoming such an important role in everything we do. It's so easy to talk about it. And now we can talk about mental performance and how that goes into work. And I think, I do think that the future of our workforce is bright if we can continue down being open and just providing space for our employees just to be good people. I totally agree. Well, Vince, thank you so much for yeah, spending this time with us today. It, it was a blast. I didn't even, I wasn't paying attention. I looked up and I think we've been at this for uh, over 40 minutes. So really appreciate your time. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Employer. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Employer Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about our approach to industrial marketing and the role that company culture has in moving manufacturing forward, visit Gorilla76.com.